Just a reminder about the gold insert in your service folder as we begin our uh, Bible study together. Use that if you'd like. Um, dear, dear friends, um, as I mentioned earlier, we're in the third week of this uh, series called Red Letter Day. Um, on one of the most important days in the history of the world, on the day that our Savior Jesus died to pay for your sins and to pay for mine, the Bible records seven things that Jesus said while there on the cross. And as we consider our Easter celebration on April 8th, what a great way to sort of prepare our hearts and lives for that Easter celebration. Now, I know how much all of you just love group participation when it comes to the beginning of a sermon. And because I've just been having a whole bunch of people asking, can we do that more? Um, I've decided that, it, you know, I think we should do this again because mostly it gets your wheels turning and gets you engaged in what we're going to be talking about. So bear with me because we're going to do that again in just a moment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about someone in your life that has been a blessing to your faith. I want you to think of someone that because God allowed your path to cross, that it allowed you to grow stronger in your relationship with Jesus, that because of that person, you walked closer to the Lord. Now, here's the other part, because this is the part that goes with our message for today. That person cannot be someone that you grew up with or is a relative or lived in the house that you're growing up with. It needs to be someone that's been a blessing either in a very big way or somewhat more in a minor way. A neighbor, a co-worker, a pastor, a teacher, uh, a church member, someone that God used to be a blessing in your life. Now, here's the group participation part. I want you to share the name of that person with someone around you that you didn't come to church with today. And so you can do it in couples. We got about a minute. I want you to share who that person is. Young people can join too if they'd like. All right? It's pretty easy. Not a real hard thing. All right? A teacher, a pastor, a friend, a church member. 60 seconds. Everyone participates. Go ahead. <laughs> About 15 seconds. All right. See, talking to each other is not that bad. It's kind of nice, actually. Now, for me, I was born into a pastor's family and has been, have been a Christian ever since I was a little baby. And I can't really think of a time in my life, I know there wasn't a time where I totally went away from the faith, a, a time like that. I've always loved Jesus, and I've always known that Jesus loved me. But some of you might not know, some of you do know, but some of you might not know that certainly being a pastor is something that was never really on my radar for various reasons. Um, one of them was that, to be honest, as a young person, I didn't always see how 
um, sometimes it seemed to be in the churches that I attended a disconnect between church and real life. And I didn't quite know if God could use a person like me and my gifts and my personality in the ministry. And so don't ask me, you know, how I was going to school to be a pastor when I didn't know that I wanted to be one. Um, I think that is a God thing. But that was the case, and I was going to MLC and then went to seminary. And it wasn't until my internship year at SEM, so two years away from being a pastor, that I really discovered and found out that I wanted to be a pastor. And it's because God allowed a pastor named John Parlow to be a blessing in my life. And, and he showed me, he taught me, he, he helped strengthen my faith as to what it looks like to be a Christian in this world and what it doesn't have to look like. And he, he showed me that there doesn't need to be a cookie-cutter idea of what a pastor looks like, but that you can be yourself and use your gifts and the things that, that you enjoy in a, and also to shepherd God's people. And John Parlow was a huge blessing in my life that God brought into my life. And almost all of you have someone like that in your life to one degree or another. And in fact, as I listen to people's faith stories, and when I've had those opportunities, over these eight and a half years of being a pastor, um, I cannot remember a time where when a person described a period of great growth in their, their faith life, that it was not connected to people to people that they interacted with or became friends with or a church that they joined. And while God's word is that which strengthens us, it is people that are God's instruments to share God's word with us. Now, people can be a great blessing to us, but on the flip side, people, the wrong people, can have a negative impact on our faith life, or what we think is important, or our walking with the Lord. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, when he wrote, bad company corrupts good character. Now, this is not to say, and the point of our message today is not to say that you should not have friends that are unbelievers. Because, in fact, there's this whole other side of our life, which is we're supposed to be lights in this world. And so, yes, it is good to always have unchurched or unbelieving friends that we can share Jesus with. But the people that are the influencers in your life... The people that you laugh with and cry with, the people that you trust to give you good encouragement and strength, it is good for a Christian and for their faith to have those people be Christians and to surround ourselves with people of faith that can be encouragers to us and to our faith because bad company corrupts good character. Now, if you're a parent, you're thinking, man, can I just you know, frame that and put that in my kids' room? Because young people, your parents want you to have good friends, and this is why. But adults, this is true for us too, to varying degrees. I mean, if you were to look back on your life and to think about a period of time where you maybe strayed the furthest from your faith, and maybe you didn't lose faith, but you were just more disconnected. I'm guessing that almost every single time it was a period where for some reason you were isolated from other believers. 
It was a time where strength from other people of faith was harder and further to come by. I think that's one of the reasons why college can be such a difficult time. You've just removed yourself from your network of spiritual friends, your family, and now there's a group of people in that time of life that isn't thinking as much about the spiritual things. And what happens? Well, we in our sinfulness, oftentimes, unfortunately, we surround ourselves with people for the wrong reasons. Maybe because they're fun, or they make us laugh. Now, those aren't bad reasons in and of themselves, but if they're the only reason, not the greatest reason. We surround ourselves with people because of how they look or because of how they don't look. In school, we pick certain people because of the group that they're in. And let's not, again, kid ourselves, adults, we do the same thing. And sometimes when the wrong people are our company, it leads us to sin and away from what is important. Now, all of this leads us perfectly into the third time that Jesus spoke from the cross. Believe it or not. And as we look at these words, what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to give you a brand new way to think of the people around you and a brand new perspective on how important it is to have the right people around you. Now, I need to give you a little bit of background. Um, during the weeks leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, we have it recorded that numerous times Jesus would sort of allude to the fact that he was going to suffer and die. He was trying to give his disciples a warning about this. But any warning of words would not prepare them for actually seeing and experiencing Jesus suffering and dying on a cross. And so the disciples were very shook by all that they saw. But even more than those 12 disciples... Consider how much this would have affected Jesus' mother. Many of us here today are moms. You don't even want to think about that when it comes to a child or a son. Not only was Jesus Mary's Savior, Jesus was Mary's son. She carried him in her womb. She gave birth to him prayed for him many times. She fed him, clothed him, and cherished him. Mary, of all the people that Jesus knew in his 33 years here on earth, would have spent the most time with him than anyone else. And even when Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus to the temple, about eight days old, to sort of dedicate him, there was a man named Simeon at the temple. He took Jesus in his arms, and as he, he, he understood that Jesus was going to be the Savior, and as he talked about that saving work, do you remember these words he told Mary from Luke chapter 2? Next slide. A sword, Mary, will pierce your own soul too. Simeon was predicting that salvation was going to hurt Mary. Now, Mary is gathered near the foot of the cross with two other women and John, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And while he's, they're there, Jesus turns to Mary and he speaks to his mother. Verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, 
his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that is John, standing nearby, he said to his mom, Dear woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, the first thing that I don't want you to miss in this exchange is the amazing selfless love that Jesus has for us. At those times where we wonder, does Jesus really care about what I'm going through right now? <laughs> Do we need any more proof that he cares about our lives? While hanging on the cross, suffering immensely, he not only notices Mary, but what does he do? He takes care of her. Jesus cares about the things that we go through in this life too. But there's something else. This was a time in history where um, life insurance hadn't been invented yet. There was no policy out in a husband who passed away, as Joseph likely, uh, assuredly, had already passed away, Mary's husband. It wasn't a time of social programs that, you know, took care of people in need. It was a time where women weren't traditionally working, in fact, not really working at all. And so, if a husband and a son died, this would be a very difficult predicament for a mom, for a widow. Now... As you read this section, and maybe the way you've always thought about it, you would just assume that Mary had no one, right? That's why Jesus needed to appoint John to be her son. You would just assume that Mary had no one to take care of her. But there's a little problem with that. The Bible tells us that Jesus had what? Brothers and sisters. The Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph had kids after Jesus was born. So, why does Jesus appoint John to be his mother when Mary, or son, when Mary has other sons? One of Jesus' brothers is James, the writer of the book of James. Okay? And James, while later becoming a very strong Christian, during their lives, Jesus' brothers and sisters, his half-brothers and sisters, the Bible is clear, they, they rejected him as Jesus, as Savior. They rejected him as the promised Messiah. Now, before you get to be uh, too harsh on these brothers and sisters, um, imagine if your brother or sister said, hey, I'm the Savior of the world. I mean, this was, this was kind of a hard thing for them, I'm sure. But, needless to say, they were not in the right place spiritually. In fact, here's what John writes in chapter 7. Even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. So here's the thing. This gets us back to our point. If Jesus was only concerned about Mary's physical welfare, he would have said, hey, James, take care of our mom." If Jesus was only concerned about Mary having something to eat and something to drink and a place to live, any of the brothers could have helped. But Jesus realized that Mary, during this very difficult time and always, would need more than that. Jesus realized how important it would be 
for Christians to be surrounded by other Christians. And so he chooses John, a strong Christian, a follower of Jesus, to be the one to take care of his mom because of how important it is to surround ourselves with people of faith. Mary, here is your son. Now, the people we're related to is a big deal, right? Um, I remember a, a time or two as a, uh, a kid giving my younger brother a hard time. Um, I, I'd like, I like to tease him, and, you know, it, it's all innocence, and of course, and um, I mean, that's what big brothers are for anyway. But while I had this habit, no one else better pick on my brother. Because why? Because we're family. Now, the same was very true for the Jews. They had a lot of importance put on who your family was. If you were related to Abraham, if he was your great ancestor, if you had the blood of Abraham running through your veins, this was huge. And, and they felt as if being a, a descendant of Abraham, a child of Abraham, that they were better than everyone else. They felt that if just because of that, that in fact that they were in a way saved by God just because of who their earthly father was. Through the blood running through their veins... Now, you and I know, as we look at the cross, that it is blood that saves us, but not the blood that runs through our veins. And there's blood all over Good Friday, and it's gory, and it's yucky to think about. There's blood as he's being scourged. There's blood as they hit him on the head. There's blood from the crown of thorns on his head, from the nails in the hands and feet, the spear in the side. There is blood everywhere. The Bible says in 1 John 1, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. It was Jesus' blood that was the sacrifice needed. Jesus' blood to forgive sinners like you and me who have a pension to at times you know, wander in seasons of our life to forgive us for all those sins. Jesus' blood is what saves us. But Jesus' blood also does something else. It unites us. Just as Abraham's blood would have united the Jews as a family, here's the thing we cannot miss. Jesus' blood unites the people here together. Even someone next to you that you've never talked to until the pastor made you right before the sermon talk to them? That's your brother. That's your sister in the faith. You'll often hear us here at Bethlehem talk about this gathering of people as a family. That doesn't mean that families always get along or always think the same way or that there will never be problems. There will because there's sin in every family. But what it does mean is that we're united with this wonderful bond. And, I, and this is the main reason why 
We are so passionate here about, at Bethlehem about connecting you to other people. We realize we cannot make people be friends, okay? I've tried that with my kids. It doesn't work, okay? But what we can do is to be cognizant of how important it is to have godly people in our lives and to create opportunities, whether you take advantage of them or not, that's up to you, but to create opportunities to surround yourself with Christians and with people who will have a positive Christian influence on your life and encourage you with things that are most important. But especially this weekend, as you consider... John and Mary, I want you to consider our personal responsibility that each one of us has for this. Through the blood of Christ, you and I are brothers and sisters. And that means something. And when big things happen to members of this family, I've seen it happen time and time again, that we as a family respond with our prayers, with our hugs, with our concern, with our love, in so many ways. And yet, my friends, I'm going to challenge you today. There's always an opportunity to do better. There's always an opportunity to invest more. I want you to consider something. As you think about that person in your life that was a blessing to you and your faith life, now that we've studied John chapter 19, in a way, couldn't you say that that person was kind of to you like John was to Mary? Does that make sense? That spiritual encourager? Someone has been John in your life. Here's the question. Who right now are you being John to? It's not enough to keep our faith to ourselves. Who are you right now being intentional outside of your family? That's a given. Being John to, praying for, encouraging, taking interest in, strengthening, being intentional in being a blessing in their faith life. For some of you, maybe you just start with one. For others of you, you're good at multitasking, all right? And maybe you can do that for more than one. Some of you are already doing this. Can you imagine how awesome it would be if every single one of us realized, hey, we're brothers and sisters. I'm going to take interest in that person. I'm going to encourage them. Now, most of you know um, that my brother was here a couple weeks ago. Um, kind of amazing that... Uh, he came to spend time with me even though, you know, I teased him for so many years of his life, right? Um, and while it was definitely good to have him here uh, sharing God's word with you, um, you know, kind of selfishly, it was also nice to have him here to spend some time with him. Some of you, your family lives far away. That's the case when it comes to being a pastor. Uh, I have family in the Chicago area, and then the rest of my family is in Florida, and you know, to be honest, sometimes it can be a little difficult having family so far away. Some of you know that uh, from your own personal experience. And in fact, Dustin had said, you know, it was great visiting. I don't know, though, if I want to do this very often because um, when you spend time with your family, you kind of remember how nice it is. 
While it's difficult, it's not impossible for me. While hard some days, it's not something I dwell on very much. You know why? I'm looking at those people. Because of all of you. Because if I could surround myself with anyone, this group of people would be part of that group. Not because we all have the same interests, because we all have the same Savior. Not because we all like the same thing or have the same blood flowing through our veins, but because we had the same blood flowing through His veins for us. And my prayer today is that just as you have been such a blessing to me, that we may be that blessing more to each other.